One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. But how do you expedite this? Is it, is it as simple as just doing a trial and trying to roll it out on a mass scale? Or if you had Scott Morrison's ear, what would you say to him to sort of- We need money. We need money. We need yep. money. We need money to make it happen yep. because at the end of the day, people don't understand that the recycling bin that they've got at home, they're paying for. It's part of their mm. rates. If mm. you're a renter, it's part yeah. of your rent. Yeah. But people don't understand that they're actually paying for that service. Mm. So, Brad is a service, but we're not going to be able to kind of accelerate this without a lot of money to do so. Yeah, and I guess sort of incentivizing product manufacturing Manufacturers by saying, look, X percentage of your product needs to come from recycled materials, for example. Yeah. Just some rules and requirements around that. Yes. And then that raises a whole nother kind of issue about recycled plastic mm. and its integrity. Yeah. Because the problem with plastic is then when you recycle it, it doesn't hold, it's not as gr- good a quality yeah. as when it was virgin plastic. Mm. So it's then kind of going, okay, well, how many items on supermarket shelves can be made from mm. recycled mm. items? Mm. And let's make all of them there. And then the ones that have to be made from virgin plastic like plastic isn't going to dissolve it's not going to be we're always going to be using plastic Mm. so it's kind of about like what levels are we using and Mm. what percentages are going to be recycled versus virgin yeah but i guess ultimately if you look at the old waste management hierarchy which i'm sure you're familiar with the most effective solution is always avoiding the usage of of the item the plastic in the first place but as you indicated it is hard a lot of the time and sometimes this will be my little bits and bobs that you just have in your but it's things things like blister packs yeah there's something that we're not going to be able to stop using it's things like no matter how hard we try a mascara for the next 10 to 15 years is going to be made of plastic it's these things that we cannot avoid sure you can go and you can take your own bread bag to your local bakery Mm. so then you're Mm. avoiding the Mm. use of bread tags Mm. there are so many things that you can reduce but at the end of the day i think the biggest eye-opener for me has been this consumption of blister packs because being a healthy person you don't really think about it i go okay well i make it through the year probably using one or two Mm. but somebody with chronic health conditions hospitals things like that there is no alternative and when i've been talking to people about the consumption on a mass level talking to hospitals talking to pharmacies it's cheaper for them to buy mass medications in blisters than just loose pills 
So the pharmaceutical companies then is the barrier there because yeah. that's where the issue lies. Yeah. If it's more expensive for the for businesses, their businesses at the end of the day, they're going to mm. choose those that more economical option. So they're out the back popping blisters to then pop them into Webster packs. So it's again another whole issue. So I think for me, that was a really big eye opener because I, my whole thing with Brad when I first set it up was I don't want to make recycling okay. Yeah. At the end of the day, consumption is the worst thing. We can mm. be reducing our consumption, mm. then what you've got left over, you should be able to recycle properly. But I think the next issue that we're facing is then, okay, well, if, if we're left with these essential items, then how do we get rid of them properly? Yeah. Another key question I had for you is like in terms of capitalism come into like where I've seen Banish work really well is that obviously you have a, a core value of sustainability and reducing the environmental impact, but how is sort of being able to grow, you're able to make money out of it, basically. And how do we essentially make more money out of solving this problem, I guess, would be the question is like, we can sort of say, oh, we need government to give us more money or, or, or subsidize X and Y. But how does these groups make money, whether it be the person recycling or the company recycling the material or the manufacturer turning it into a, a product? How do we essentially incentivize or make more money out of doing this whole thing? That for me will drive radical change very quickly. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good example if you can see now that the number of people who have paid to send their products to be recycled with Brad, mm. Mm. people are using their dollars there, yeah, which yeah, is sure. ridiculous and something that I didn't think was going to be possible that we'd had 2,000 people going to their post office mm. and paying for postage. I think if you look at Randwick City Council, they've got a waste levy where they put it out to all of their public in their area and said, look, Will you pay, I don't know, X amount more on your rates for a specific waste levy? And then you will get a community recycling facility. You will get FOGO. You will get all of these things. And they all said yes. Mm. I think that's just giving people the opportunity to say, hey, would you be interested in paying this much more? And then we'll, we can do this together because mm. I think we can wait for governments to make it all accessible for everybody. But mm. if we have the opportunity, if we're privileged enough to be able to afford this, if we can be buying those more sustainable options, mm. it, I think I do try and acknowledge the fact that sustainability isn't always the cheapest option. Mm. In the long run, it might be because you're only buying like one razor and then you never have to buy it again. But somebody might not be able to pay $43 for yeah. a razor in that paycheck month. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why we still offer sales at Banish. It's something that kind of grappled me at the start. I was going, should we do sales? Because then we're increasing consumerism. Oh, yeah. 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 We're kind of going flash sale, like ends tonight, all of this kind of stuff, which in turn doesn't really sit well from a consumerism perspective, but for me, it came down to the fact that for other people, it might not be financially viable for them to buy something unless it was on sale. Mm. But in turn, because our products are handmade often mm. or they're using organic materials, sustainable materials, they have to have that premium price point. Mm. Mm. So, it sure. is that kind of balance. Yeah. And obviously, with, with more demand, the price will come down. And if the, the, the wider goal is to sort of have these more sustainable products more widely distributed, yeah. Like the reality is you are competing with the plastic razors and the, and the plastic straws. So, you are you need to be conscious of keeping your cost down and making more attractive, et cetera. So, it's a fascinating, fascinating little area. Where do the plastic manufacturers, where, where's their role in this? Like you, you're doing this great work with dealing directly with the consumers and getting them to sort of drive change, et cetera. But what about the plastic manufacturers? What, what role do they have in this space? 
So it's an interesting question, actually. I've actually been approached to be a part of the Beauty Product Stewardship Committee or Advisory Board. So what has happened is there's been a $1 million, I think it's government grant, has gone to close the loop. And they are working with some of the big organizations in the beauty industry in particular because product stewardship happens in so many different Mm -hmm. areas. And obviously, dealing with Brad, a lot of what we've got is beauty products. So what this kind of committee or advisory advisory group is trying to do is there's going to be all of these people sitting at a table working out what the future of product packaging looks like in Australia. Wow. It's really exciting. There's going to be some amazing people sit from some huge beauty groups involved so that everybody can be there at this table going, well, what does this future mm. look like? Wow. Because when you look at something like beauty products, for example, is there impossible Well, they're not impossible. They're very hard to recycle. So it's going, well, how can we stop this at the top of the chain? Mm, mm, Because mm. we can tell our consumers, look, you should try and buy products that look like this or don't have the pump and do this and that. But at the end of the day, we need the big guys to stop creating and to be putting their amazing products in different packaging. Every kind of pump that I've already mentioned before in beauty products is so difficult to recycle. So. There's product stewardship happening in so many different industries. The beauty industry will be what I will be involved in in the future, but coming there's still i think they've got it as well in textiles yeah. there's a really good group of people working together in textiles or organizations who are kind of changing the way and what is a t-shirt made from mm, and what yeah. is it cred because i think it's a really important part as we can look at the source and we can look at the consumers i very much focus on the consumers because i believe that as a collective group we've got a lot of power mm. but it also does come from the top sure well, that's really exciting and what is the incentive for these beauty industry to do this like like they're making plenty of money why would they bother trying to do anything different because i think they are realizing that if they don't change that they won't be making a lot of money in the future wow i think that we are shifting we are seeing it we're seeing big organizations kind of pledge carbon neutrality we're seeing Mm. them kind of pledge to reduce their waste by a certain percentage we're seeing all of this happen because majority of the reason the time i think it is for consumers it's for the good it's for the press release that they can write it's for everything so it's getting to the point where they have to do this and i think it also comes down to competition yeah if such and such is at the table then their biggest competitor wants to be at the table as well because they want to be a step ahead of the other one if we look at colgate coming out with their recycling programs and things like that it comes down to business they want to be the more I don't know, favorable to the consumer. And yeah. sustainability is something that is popping up. Statistically speaking, every consumer is caring about sustainability. Yeah. And it's a great, like, a, this is a, a relevant to the conversation I had with Shannon Mead from No More Butts. And we were at both at the Litter Congress and there was a representative from the tobacco industry. And yeah, there's a strong recognition that cigarette butts are made of plastic. And she made the comment that, look, the first tobacco company that, that comes up with a plastic-free cigarette butt is going to just make a gazillion more dollars, basically. And that really surprised me. You're thinking, cigarette smokers, do they really care about the environment? But clearly they do. You know, smoking is a habit and is uh, whatever, and you can judge however you like about that, but it's still a, a product that is being consumed. And clearly there's a growing, uh, I guess, increased environmental consciousness in cigarette smokers. And certainly if cigarette smokers are worried about the environment, you can almost guarantee pretty much every other 
a consumer of every other product will be thinking the same thing. Exactly. It's mm. funny because I listened to um, that episode and one of the questions I ask at one of the talks that I give is always what is the most common piece of ocean litter mm. found? No one ever picks cigarette butts. Really? Ever. It's plastic wow. bags, yeah. bottle tops, everything. Somebody said lollipop sticks. I was going, no, mm. no one eats lollipops in comparison <laughs> to the amount that people yeah. smoke. But it's a lot of lo- lollipops. It, it is a lot of lollipops. <laughs> But it is really funny and it was interesting because after the podcast, it got me thinking and I actually went down the rabbit hole of e-cigarettes yeah. and vapes. Yes. And then I was kind of, I put it posted about on Instagram today because I was yeah. just thinking about doing the research. I, yeah. I've never touched one of these things before to know the materials that I'm messaging kind of old acquaintances saying, can you send me a photo of yeah. yours? Like, it's just bizarre. But when you think about it, then you've got the rise of e-cigarettes. Yeah. These have got batteries, mm. which we want to keep out of landfill. They're refillable, which is, I guess, okay, but what are the refills made of? Yeah. They're not going to be kind of bamboo or compostable mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, there's a whole nother issue with the e-smoking that's coming up as well. So, I think there are so many things and it was interesting when I did a Google search, just the number of results that people are kind of starting to talk about it. They're looking, they're starting to engage. There was one company in Sydney who were recycling the disposable vapes and they kind of had this huge disclaimer being like, we do not endorse the fact that you're using disposable vapes, but we will get rid of them and recycle them for wow, you. Yeah. And they were making them into ashtrays, which seems a little bit, I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> they were, at least they were going to be reused and not popped into landfill. But I think it is just interesting looking as well at the future. If we kind of look at e-cigarettes, it's yeah. kind of like, well, okay, maybe there is People have started using them for the, I don't know, the perceived health benefits. Mm. But it's like, well, what about at the perceived sustainable yeah, benefit? Yeah. What is going to be the next thing? And then- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is where, I guess, consumers do rely on on someone like yourself to actually do the research. Like I remember hearing you talk on one podcast episode about how you're trying to work out what's the most sustainable straw to use, whether it's a bamboo straw or a stainless steel straw or just plastic straws. And you said how it took you ages to do that research. And you're a very 
smart, well-resourced individual you know, and, and who has, has a genuine care and passionate about this, most people wouldn't spend an hour looking at what is the most sustainable straw. So we kind of, as consumers, we kind of rely on someone like yourself to actually provide that advice. But so, that's yeah. the thing because in the health and fitness industry, you have personal trainers, you mm. have experts, you've got doctors, yeah. you've got everything. When it comes to sustainability, there's environmental engineers like yourself, mm. but there's not really that kind of recycling person that you go no, to. There's no. not that kind of, you don't call up your local council and ask them how to recycle an item. It's too hard. Yeah. So I think that's what we really, what people are missing and that's what banishes is that yeah. education platform yeah. where you can get that information. Yeah. And classic example was in the conversation I had with Shannon Mead, who is the chief butt officer of No More Butts, you know, passionate about stopping cigarette butts. And I'm an environmental engineer. We didn't really know what was better for the environment, whether it's east, uh, the vaping or the cigarettes. Like we can sort of have a guess and think maybe cigarette butts might be actually the, the better of the, the, of the two devils, but we don't know. But again, having that advice from someone like yourself or, or another sort of suitably qualified person is really, really useful. That one bit of advice can have enormous ramifications to the rest of an individual's life. And then you times that individual by, you know, 10 billion, you know, the implications of that are, are enormous. That's a really amazing resource or, or knowledge to sort of tap into. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's just interesting. I get a lot of people who kind of say, oh, yeah, because of you, I've told X, Y, and Z yeah. about this. And you go, great. But so it's all about that spreading of knowledge. Yeah. And that's my whole thing is like, I want to just empower people with knowledge so that they have the confidence to recycle better or to start a worm mm. farm or I don't know, do something because I don't think you realize it's just about, it's almost that confidence that people need mm. in themselves to go, I can do this. Yeah. I can live more sustainably. I can recycle better. And, and it is a positive message. You're not like shy. Shaming per people and saying, oh, you've got a plastic straw, you're the devil. Uh, it's really like, hey, you know, I've done research and look, this is cool and, and it's functional and it's all hunky-dory and, you know, you can get it here and there or wherever you like. So we, we talked about product stewardship before and I've actually just seen recently Coca-Cola partner with two companies, one being the Ocean Cleanup Group with Boy and Slat, another one being Pete Galinsky's Seabin Project. So both of those initiatives or businesses are around cleaning up plastic out of our oceans. And Coca-Cola have obviously seen it as a they want to partner. They have partnered with these groups. How do you feel about that? Is that a good thing? Or is that sort of like greenwashing a little bit or what? My main issues with greenwashing is when a company kind of misleads an audience from their kind of packaging perspective. Mm. Personally, that's what I find the most difficult part about greenwashing. So, mm. for beauty product, for example, have a recycling symbol on the back of it, yeah. but it couldn't go into your recycling bin. Right. So, I don't think it's really a term of greenwashing something, somebody or a group like Coca-Cola sponsoring or helping out with the ocean cleanup. I just think it's a way of them getting their brand branding onto an initiative. Yeah. And I think it was brought up in the tobacco chat that you had yeah. about the tobacco industries wanting to support these ocean cleanups, the beach cleanups as well. I think it's a really difficult kind of moral issue because yeah. from Seabin and the ocean cleanups perspective, they need money to keep on going and yeah. they need yeah. funding sure. to do this. But it's a really difficult question that I don't think that I could probably answer unless it was a big organization yeah. coming to me. Yeah. And if I was in their position, what I would do. Yeah. 
So it would be a different story if Coca-Cola was coming to sponsor Brad. I would probably definitely say no to that. Really? Okay. But that's just from the perspective of the quantities that they yeah, create and yeah. they produce. And even though they have got recycling, mm. a portion of their products are now made from recyclable mm. plastics and mm. things like that. It's a really difficult issue that I pro- a question that I probably don't think I could answer unless I was yeah. one of those. It is an interesting thing. Look, I, I see it from a couple of perspectives, I guess. I, I kind of agree with you as well. Like, it is a hard question to answer, but obviously we ask the hard questions on this mm-hmm. show. Um, but yeah, look, if Coca-Cola want to put some money towards an initiative to help remove plastic and our oceans, great. My only concern is, A, it could be potentially greenwashing. B, maybe Ocean Cleanup and Seabin might lose some control over their brand and what they're doing. But also, from my perspective, they're, they're tackling the problem at the wrong end. Again, if we look back at that waste management hierarchy, you know, cleanup is the most expensive, least effective, and that's where they're funding their money. Obviously, if, uh, avoiding the usage of the of the plastic in the first place would be the way to go. And I'd, I'd far prefer to see Coca-Cola. I'm not saying use less, co- encourage mm. less consuming of Coca-Cola, heaven forbid. No, definitely not. Uh, but at least encouraging reduced consumption of plastic, basically. But then, yeah, but I also think some consumers, on the other hand, would probably see them sponsoring these programs as a good thing because they're being accountable for the waste that they're creating Mm. because of the number of bottle caps that Mm. are appearing on beaches and in these big ocean gyres. So, Mm. I think- there's kind of two ends of the sword sure. because a lot of people see the output and go, well, these big companies should be the ones that are paying for it. Yeah, yeah. So, in Coca-Cola sponsoring these cleanups, then they technically are. But I think you're right as well. It needs to also be changed yeah. at the source. So, yeah. if they can be spending money both ends, then yeah. great. But yeah. It's but, a- but I also think, you know, you, you talked about the beauty product uh, committee before, but look, I'm sure Coca-Cola are probably in a similar space in that they know they've got a problem. They know they're part of the problem. They know they're probably, I'm guessing, I'm, re- I'm sure I read somewhere, they are the most polluting company on the planet when it comes to plastic. So, they know they need to be part of the solution. Yeah, they're probably tackling it at the wrong end in terms of cleanup, but at least they're sort of involved and at the at the table and it, it sort of, I guess, enables greater change and obviously better protection of our environment as a result. So, from that perspective, it's a good thing. And to be honest, they've got a lot of money. If they want to throw some cash towards this problem, fantastic. Yeah. So, we probably should land this plane at some point, Lottie. It's been an amazing chat. I, I honestly, I'm a huge fan of you. Like, I, I, when I was on your podcast, I knew a little bit about you. But when I, in the preparation for this podcast chat, I obviously delved into a little bit more detail. You are dead set a superstar. Oh, I, I, I am very impressed with the work that you've done today. But honestly, also, I cannot wait to see what you achieve in the future. But h- how do you feel about the whole? planetary health situation. You know, we get a lot of sort of doom and gloom statistics and we obviously are in a, in a decade and requiring radical change and innovation, but are you optimistic about the future? I'm so excited. I'm just, I don't know, maybe people think I've got my head stuck in the sand <laughs> and that I'm off with the hippies all day dancing around in a circle, but I'm just so excited about what the future is. I think if we look back even to when Banish started, it was this foreign concept. Nobody really understood why or what it was about. And now everybody's like, yes, it just makes sense. We need to be doing this. We need to be changing. We've got 2,000 people paying to get their items recycled with us. There's so much excitement happening and I think it is just consumers are learning. They're getting excited. They're taking responsibility. And I think we can also look at the amount of change that that's driving mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. councils, governments, big government organizations, big companies are listening. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a really, really exciting position mm-hmm. that we're in. And I think as we mentioned earlier in this podcast that we're going to look back at this generation and go like, look what we achieved. Look what we changed. 
And I think I c- cannot wait to do that. And I think this generation is going to look back at you and go, Lottie DL, what a superstar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I, but having said that, I think it's still good to go out and dance with the hippies as well. So uh, we probably should do that. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for coming on our show. It's been a wonderful chat. I think you're a superstar. And I'm really been, it's been a real privilege talking to you today. No, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> cool. That's it. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Ocean protect podcast if you'd like to find out more about us and what we do check us out at oceanprotect.com.au